This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Love is the deal on this planet. This is our purpose, to get to love. Everything else is just details. Everything else is just details, writes Patty Henry. Valeria Tellez interviews Patty, the author of Two Lifetimes. A remarkable book is written to help people move out of being run by their wounded emotional child to being run by their empowered, authentic adult self. It chronicles shifting from living life fearfully to living life powerfully and lovingly. It will change your life. Patty Henry has been a psychotherapist in private practice since 1988, working in women's programs in psychiatric hospitals before that. She began her work committed to empowering women, but soon realized men were in desperate need of healing as well. She believes we must emotionally heal men if we are going to heal the world. She specializes in working with couples where emotional unavailability is present. Her new book, Two Lifetimes, From Fear to Love, was released in December 2020. Meet Patty on patty-henry.com. Here is the interview with Patty Henry. In your own words, who is Patty Henry? Well, I'm a psychotherapist. I've been in private practice for 32 years. I started my work working to empower women. And what happened was I thought we were kind of working in a vacuum. They would complain to me about what their husband was doing or saying. And so I decided I needed to bring them into the session as well. So I started doing couples work and I noticed how desperately men needed help as well. So I've developed, um, over time working with men, uh, I wrote a book, The Emotionally Unavailable Man, and it's really about healing men. Because I think we have to heal men in order to heal the world. It's not enough just to heal women. And so we have to work together to make it safe for men to heal and women to heal. So we will be talking about healing and as uh, some of the topics in your book, Two Lifetimes. For now, I'll be asking you some open questions, as I mentioned off record. The first one is life itself. What is life to you, Patty? Well, uh, it's an adventure and it has um, some predictability. And if we can get okay with the predictability of change, that helps because there's a lot of change that happens in life and some we have control over and some we don't. Uh, 
So uh, just getting to the point where life is an adventure. Uh, I wrote the book two lifetimes because I feel we have the opportunity to live two lifetimes on the planet. Not as a reincarnation, but just as two lifetimes in the same body. Speaking of changes and challenges, 2020 has been one of those times, right, of change and challenges. What lessons have you learned this year? Well, I think that the everything has a divine purpose. And so COVID is here on purpose. And to me, I see the world coming together more because everybody is fighting the same fear. And so uh, I do think that people are starting to relate more to each other and not just think about me, but being open to healing the whole world. What do you think is the opposite of life, the opposite to life? Well, all I can say is um, the only thing I know 100% sure that I know is true is that we have to make up a story to make sense out of things that there are no definitive answers for. So there are things that there are no definitive answers, like why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing while we're here? Uh, is there a God? What happens after we die? All of that, we have to come up with something that resonates with our soul in order to not be in angst about it all the time. To me, the goal is to move from lifetime one, living in fear, to lifetime two, living in love. So your question, what's the opposite of being alive, I think uh, is walking around dead, not connected to your heart, not connected to other people. It's just, um, yeah, the goal is to be fully alive. Yeah, I have two questions for you here that relate to being a female in a human body. What do you love most about being a woman? I love the um, empathy, the heart connection. Um, I love the strength. When I think about, you know, if I had a choice to be a male or a female, I am glad to be a female. I think there's a lot of insight that women have and um, have the power to move the earth. What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman from your perspective? That's a good question. Um, I think to believe in yourself, to believe that I am enough because our culture certainly teaches women that you have to be a certain way and look a certain way and be a certain weight and to be okay. And I don't believe that. I think you're okay already. How do we learn to have that courage to balance actually loving ourselves and loving others at the same time? And that's why I wrote my book, Two Lifetimes, because I believe that our mission on the planet is to leave lifetime one and, uh, move to lifetime two and become a healing force in the world. 
And in order to do that, we have to be able to fall in love with ourselves. We have to be able to say nice things to ourselves. We have to be able to claim the talents that were given to us before we came to the planet. A lot of people say to me, oh, I don't have any talent. And it's like, no, not true. Every single person has a talent, something they're good at, something that comes easily to them. And to really use that to be a healing force in the world. And learning how to um, love and yourself and connect with people in the present. Being very present what's going on. I see signs around people's necks that say, I am starving for love. And I think if we as human beings can add just a drop of love, when we see that in somebody, it counts. It matters. So if it's, you know, the person at the gas station or uh, the person at the tax office or whoever it is, if we can add just a little drop of love and be kind, that it matters and it adds up. What is your idea in understanding of spirituality? Well, again, that is a story we have to make up. And so I know my story, but it's not necessarily your story or somebody else's. I think different religions are different stories. Um, and no religion is a different story, too. So my idea of spirituality is touching something deep inside the core of myself and connecting it outside myself. I do think that we can um, do that on purpose. And sometimes we have that spiritual experience by holding a newborn baby or by sitting at the ocean or by listening to a great piece of music. You know, we have this awakening experience. I call it looking at the face of God. And where everything feels right in yourself and in the world. And so to me, that spirituality is the interconnectedness that we experience with all that there is. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Well, when I had my first baby, they took him and put him on my stomach. And he was all in a ball, tight in a ball. And I watched as he slowly opened his arms as far as possible and opened his legs as far as possible and stretched out his fingers and his toes. And I thought to myself, that's how I want to live life. Arms wide open. I want to take it in as much as possible. The good, the bad, the indifferent, it's all um, sacred. Let's talk about your book. I guess my first question had to be this one too. Um, how did you become a writer? Um, well, my first book um, came and was fully intact, came to me and with a message, write this book. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I don't know how to write a book. I never wanted to write a book. I never had any thoughts of that, but it just kept nagging at me and saying, write this book. And so I wrote down the whole outline in about 15 minutes. 
and I knew exactly what I needed to say. And so, um, you know, the process of writing is interesting because there's a lot of self-doubt, at least there was for me, because I thought, what do I know? <laughs> you know, doesn't everyone know this? And I had to keep telling that part of myself to shut up and just write what is in your head on the piece of paper. And so that's what I did. And, you know, one day you have two pages, and the next day you have four pages. And if you keep going, then you have a book. So um, that's how I wrote that book. This one, Two Lifetimes, has bugged me for a long time, for about 10 years. This is the book I've wanted to write. And uh, about nine years ago, I got cancer. So that stopped my writing process. And I was in treatment for about a year or two. And then I got better. And I was better seven years. And then my cancer came back. And um, I had over 100 tumors in my brain, and um, that stopped my writing. And then um, I had a stem cell transplant, and the cancer is gone now. And I thought, this is the time. Sit down and write this book. And so that's what I did the last year. And how was the process of choosing the title? I, um, you know... I sent my manuscript to my original publisher of The Emotionally Unavailable Man, and she hated it. She hated the title, Two Lifetimes. She was like, no, no, no. And I said, well, give me some other ideas, then, because that's how it is to me. It comes to me, and it seems to be inside of me. And um, I, I tried to retitle it. But I decided that's really what it's about. It's about living two lifetimes on the planet, one run by fear and the other run by love. Why did you choose to become a psychotherapist? Well, um, I used to um, work on Broadway shows and operas, and I met my husband in Europe on an opera tour. We were on tour for about a year. And then from there, we went to Mexico City for him to play with the Philharmonic there. And um, and when we were in Mexico City, I got a job teaching. And it was wonderful because the teacher is really revered in Mexico. And, you know, there come God and then the parent and then the teacher. And some of them uh, have the God and then the teacher and then the parents. And so there were no discipline problems at all. Um, the school I taught at was the only school that you could apply directly to university here in the United States. So everybody had good work ethic, high grades, no discipline problems, and I loved it. And so when we came back to the States, I thought um, – What can I do? Because teaching in the States is very hard. And um, there's a lot of discipline problems. There's a lot of uh, having to really counsel the children that are in painful situations at home. And so I thought, what can I do that would be teaching and counseling and be with people that want to be with me? Uh, and so I thought, I'm going to go back to graduate school and uh, get my master's in counseling. 
And so I did. Staying with the topic of two lifetimes within this one, living in fear. So how would you describe that kind of life? Well, I believe that every baby is born perfect. Every baby that comes to the planet, including you, including everybody listening to this podcast, is born perfect. And you know this when you hold a baby and they smile at you and you're like, okay, you <laughs> own me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and um, our world, however, does not support that kind of love and openness and vulnerability at this point. So that beautiful baby gets thrown into lifetime one where it gets wounded. It gets left out. It gets told they're stupid. It um, gets hurt, uh, spanked, beaten. A lot of things happen in lifetime one that wound that pure, innocent, loving child. And they shut down and they get afraid. I'm afraid to speak up because people are going to make fun of me. I'm afraid to of conflict because I'm going to get hit, you know? And so we develop all these, um, programs and in ourselves as truth. And the concept of a second lifetime is really to outgrow that, transform it into something positive and, um, then, being able to come from our adult self, our pure love, empowered adult self, where we take responsibility for everything we're doing, thinking, feeling, not doing. It's all up to us. I remember sitting in an adult children of alcoholics meeting where somebody was saying, you are responsible for your life, all of it. Uh, and I thought to myself, you're kidding. <laughs> well, I don't know how to do that. And, um, mm -hmm. he, yeah, he said, you know, if something is not working in your life, you have to step up and take some action to bring it to where you want it to be. And I, I don't know who I thought was going to do that, but it certainly wasn't going to be me. I thought maybe a husband or a job or something was going to make me get to happiness. And what I found out was they were right. We have to take responsibility. And in order to do that, that's where we get to lifetime two, when we're able to step forward when we're afraid instead of running away. So my first question is, how do we get to that first step, Patty? I think, um, again, in the story that I make up, that the universe or God or the great spirit, uh, great mystery of life wants us to wake up to lifetime two. And so we get opportunities throughout our life. We get pushed into really hard things. And if you're willing to say, I am capable, I am smart, I can do this, big breath, and take a step toward the fear, it will be scary, but then your comfort zone will expand. And so it's worth it. That makes me think about the practice of unconditional self-love or radical self-love, as some people call it. Would you say that that would be helpful? Oh, yes. A must. Yeah. Uh, 
Do we have time for me to tell you a story? Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My younger son um, said to me one time when uh, he was actually 18, he was a senior in high school and he was laying on the couch and I sat down next to him and he put a pillow over his head. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, I'm kind of depressed. And I said, do you want to talk about it? He said, yeah. I said, okay. And he said, I, when I turned 18, I thought I would be in second lifetime. I thought I would be an adult. And I thought I would get rid of all the baggage you gave me and all the baggage dad gave me. And that got my attention. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, I said, well, let me, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, honey, but those are going to be your issues that you have to work out in this life in order to get over to lifetime two. And you're going to have to face the fears. You're going to have to get develop a voice to stand up for yourself, um, be clear about your beliefs uh, to stand up for those, live your life in personal integrity. And um, I did tell him, that all the war that I was fighting when he was a little baby, I didn't know what I was doing, um, didn't have anything to do with him. It had to do with the universal wound. And the universal wound is I'm not good enough. I said, you know, my grandparents gave it to my parents and my parents gave it to me. And he said, yeah, and you gave it to me. Like, yeah, and I gave it to you. I'm so sorry, honey. Um, But we all get it. And you have to figure out how to fall in love with yourself and believe I am good enough. After all, we're all good enough to be imperfect human beings. Everyone, every single person, you are absolutely good enough to be an imperfect human being. And that's all that we are. Is there such a thing as balancing this self-love so we don't become self-centered and narcissistic and all the the negative, let's say, side of that attachment to the self? Um, Well, certainly we have to be connected to everyone and everything. You know, being that flow of the concept of we're all on the planet together, we have um, healing to do for ourselves and for others. Um, it is a spiritual experience, I think, to really know that um, I'm not God. I can't do everything, can't make everything all right. But I need to focus on myself and my side of the street. Make sure my side of the street is cleaned up before I talk to you about your side. Mm-hmm. And. Gandhi told us, always turn the search search light inward. And I think that's really important and not becoming um, too self-centered or narcissistic because as I turn it inward, I see where I need to grow. Mm-hmm. I see where I need to get kinder. I see where I could have handled that differently. And so to constantly be working on developing your powerful, loving adult self. Would you say that that's one of the ways to identify fear in us? Yes, fear can look like all kinds of things. Fear can look like anger. Fear can look like um, 
um, pride. It can look like shame. It can look like um, not good enough. All of that is part of fear. And uh, people do compensate saying, you know, um, I'm going to run 10 marathons this year. I'm going to get three degrees, three PhDs. I mean, people are trying to get to that. I am enough. And my book to me is just about giving information that if people understand that our goal is to outgrow the wounds, not let them run our life, and that there is this other option, which is to face my fear, walk toward it instead of running away from it. And that's where the good stuff is. That's where joy is. That's where peace is. Um, it's where I face my dragon of I'm not good enough and disagree with it and claim I am good enough. And I don't have all the answers, but the answers I have are fine. I love the message. Uh, being imperfect, it's okay. We don't need to strive to be perfect. Yeah, all the time, for sure, that's not realistic. But even the idea of perfection, it doesn't resonate, true. Because you see nature, it's so imperfect, but perfect at the same time. It's incredible. Yeah. Perfect imperfection, right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a circular um, argument that if we were perfect, then we wouldn't be a perfect human being because human beings are not perfect. (laughs) To be imperfect in order to be perfect. Talk to me for a moment about the media and how important it is to turn that off. (laughs) Right. I think that... um, it's alarming to me. I don't listen to the news. Uh, I haven't for years. And I tell this story in my book. I, I turned it off at, before Reagan was elected. And um, I figured if something big happened, I would find out about it. And otherwise, it doesn't matter. And I remember when somebody told me about the president being shot. And I was like, what? The president was shot and they looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, what I realized was it didn't really matter that I didn't go through that um, drama and trauma. Uh, there had been nothing that I could do about it. I found out about it. He's okay. Okay. You know, and that was enough instead of putting ourselves in the line of um, being fed negativity and fear. I think the media really has ramped up as far as creating fear. And we have to turn it off and not get sucked into there's a rapist and murderer around the corner and they're going to get you. Uh, The politics have been so... um, heart wounding uh, for so many people. And um, so, yeah, I'm a proponent of turning off the um, mass media and um, just living your life present in the moment, seeing the signs that say, I am starving for love and realizing that's my work. Would you say also social media? Yeah, 
I think um, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad about that. Um, Social media, you know, they have research now that shows it increases people's depression because we see all these happy people and happy doing all these fun things and look at our own life and say, oh, I'm not enough. And so um, you have to be careful how much you do that, uh, that you're into it. I know some people are on eight hours a day reading, looking at different uh, people's profiles. And it's like, yeah, come on back. Come on back to your life and enjoy your life and not be thinking, oh, I need to be this way. Nope. You need to be the way you are. Under the um, thinking differently, I love that too, that title. You have the 12 steps to get to think differently. And the first one is to decide we want to be an emotional grown up. So it's making a decision, it's choosing. Would you say that this is um, not a moment in time, but a practice for life, moment to moment? I think it's a practice for life. What you realize when you get into second lifetime is that you always have choice. Always, always, always. In our first lifetime, our child self might come upon something challenging and think to themselves, you know, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. The adult self says, I don't know what to do, but I'm really smart and I'm really capable and I can figure it out. And so I'm going to take a risk and try something as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do it for me. Oh, I love what you just said about this living life uh, driven by love, the second lifetime. Then we are able to see the choice. It's easier to see. It's clear to us. Yes. And I think it's important for people just to know the rules of the game. You have choice always to make something big, to make it small, to make it awful, to make it wonderful. You have choice. And um, to look at what the choices are, what are my options here with this problem? And then pick one and do that one. If it's not turning out, then you stop doing that one. Go back and brainstorm. Think about what the other options. Pick one of those until you are successful at facing that fear. Is there such a thing, Patty, as becoming fearless? Well, I think fear is part of um, the gift of humanness, that our emotions are all valid. I mean, fear keeps us from um, walking down a a deserted street at midnight, you know, um, in a bad part of town. It's like, you know, "Mm, I don't think so. So we we have to to listen to fear. And but most of our fear is made up. Most of it is not um, actually that we're in danger. You know, when uh, we're being chased by a bear, then fear is appropriate. (laughs) And how am I going to get out of this? Uh, And so, yeah, I think it's important to honor fear, to honor anger, and to learn not to be reactionary with it, but able to respond. 
So we're going to have all those emotions, but how are we going to respond to them as opposed to react to them? I want to say a little bit about the reptilian brain, too. That's the most primitive part of our brain. And it doesn't have, we have to slow it down in order for it not to be in charge. Um, I think that's important that we have enough of a pause in order to think, what should I do here? Our reptilian brain is very fast. It's lightning fast. And we have to say, nope, that's not true. I'm capable. I'm going to be okay. What can I do? And look at your choices. I I say in my book, I'm pretty sure that um, I was grabbed when I left a store uh, one time. It was nighttime and I walked outside and a big person grabbed me. And I, my reptilian brain kicked in and said, run, 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 run for your life. And I twisted out of the embrace and I ran. I ran as fast as I could. And I was very grateful that my reptilian brain was in charge. I didn't have the um, process of choice. Like, what should I do here? Should I talk to this guy? You know, is he, you know, obviously he's wounded. How can I help him? You know, I didn't have any of that. I had run. And that's the reptilian. But the reality is most of the time in our life, that's not going on. We're not being, um, you know, accosted. We are not being uh, chased by a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> we are in this world and we have choice so the step four you say say only nice things to yourself so that's such a wonderful practice and how much we are able to do that to change the conversation the inner conversation or it is more helpful to just ignore those thoughts oh i think we have to confront them and tell them i don't believe that anymore I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore. Now I know I'm loved and I'm wonderful. I'm divinely made. I'm supposed to be here on the planet. And so not to give, you know, it's the old story of um, the the wolf and the, I, I forget even the story, but who's in charge? And the sensei says, uh, whichever one you feed. And so we have to feed the one that I'm capable and I'm a light in this world. And so are you. And that will help. I love step three, be brave, uh, because it takes courage, doesn't it? It does take courage, yes. Um, Oh, there's a, a song called Brave. And I just want to see you be brave. Sarah mm, Braille. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that too. I just want to see you be brave. Let's yeah. do it. And um, like my baby that's stretched out all of his <laughs> limbs. Let's, let's be fully in this lifetime and enjoy it. And even when the hard times come, honor them and appreciate it's okay for me to feel sad. It's okay for me to feel deep level grief. It's um, part of our human experience. 
I love what you said. You write in a book, you say the universe listens to the brave. So if there's something that one of your listeners has been wanting to do and it's tugging at them, I say, go for it. Talk to me about intuition and your ideas of what intuition is. Mm. Uh, it's that still small voice inside of us that says, don't do this. Or it says, uh, this is a good idea. It's that still, you know, our gut that tells us, um, it just had a, a tragedy um, session this week with a man who fell in love with a woman and dated for a year and a half and was prepared to ask her to marry him at Christmas time. And she just this week told him, I'm married. I go home every night to my husband. I make love to my husband. I mean, he was devastated. And I mean, I just think, oh my gosh, that we have to be careful of other people and their souls and their um, their hearts. It's good not to be naive, right, Patty? And uh, what this client told me is, you know, my gut had been telling me there's something wrong all along. Wow. Said I didn't listen to it, and that's what we intuition. We have to listen to that our gut that's is screaming. No, there's something wrong here. Right. There probably is. So um, listening to that little voice that says, or the one that prompts me to write, write this book. Okay. <laughs> Do it. I wanted to say that I love your message. Absolutely love the message in your book. And you also write something that I have here. You say love is the deal on this planet. It is our purpose to get to love. Everything else is just details. And then you repeat that. Everything else is just details. Yeah, that love is the deal. And we have to really uh, remember as much as we can how to uh, just give a little drop of love. Mm. And um, people respond because they're starving for love. Oh. Thank you so much, Patty, for your work, your powerful message, your wonderful reminder to all of us. Thank you so much, Valeria. You are, uh, the, through this whole interview, you've been encouraging me, and I thank you for that. Uh, I'll say something, you'll say, oh, I love that. And um, that's, you know, heartwarming for me. Thank you. And so I have a few more questions. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, well, the one thing that I have in my book is sort of a definition of love. Uh, I'm talking about the love that means my heart is open to you. I accept you as you are. I honor you as you are. And I will do you no harm. Mm. Wow. If we could all live by that, Beautiful. we could heal the world. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, 
Would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Um, I'm really happy in my life. Um, I don't know that, um, I mean, I would call everyone that I love and make sure and tell them, uh, listen, I'm going to leave the planet, but I'm going to be with you spiritually. And, um, just want you to know how much I love you and appreciate you as a human being. So, um, I, you know, always wanted to live long enough for my kids to be grown and they are. And so that's uh, a comfort and to know that I really want them to know deep in their souls that they are loved by me and their dad and you know um even the energy of the universe that leans toward love and leans toward justice we have to be willing to add to that and the last question is what are three things about life you know for sure as of today well for sure i know we have to make up stories <laughs> yeah. to, um, make sense out of things that don't make sense um, we have to make up why something happened because we don't really know a lot of times. And um, so that's one thing I know. That's the thing I know 100%. The other thing I guess I know is that the good stuff is in lifetime too. And so I want that for everyone, the joy and the peace and the, you know, enlightenment that happens with learning how to be one with all. So that's the second thing I know. Lifetime two is better than lifetime one. Lifetime one has a lot of pain and suffering. So um, let's see, a third thing that um, I learned, I guess just how sacred life is. It's really an amazing journey that we get to have here. And I am grateful, grateful, grateful to be able to be here. I, I know with my cancer and my brain, uh, there were many times that it was touch and go. And so it was important for me to enjoy even that. I remember being in the hospital. I was in isolation for a month. And I thought to myself, I can't wait to have my life back. And what I realized was, wait a minute, this is your life. This is the day you were given to enjoy and connect with the nurses and connect with um, just the experience of getting better, healing my body. And so to learn that it's all good. I absolutely love, love, love your wisdom. <laughs> thank you so much, Patty. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And keep up the good work that you're doing. I love that. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Okay. Um, my website is Patty, P-A-T-T-I, and then there's a hyphen, henry.com. And this is my office number, 
So either of those would get you to me. Thank you so much again, Patty. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Patty Henry and her work, please visit patty-henry.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.